So, you know, one day I like strolled down the street and took a walk by and sure enough saw this super beautiful, vibrant, newly opened butcher shop. Honestly, kind of a lot like this. Like we have customers coming in saying, so, oh my goodness, thanks for bringing this to the neighborhood. Like, well, that's what happened in my neighborhood in Brooklyn. And I had like an aha moment as I walked by and just saw, wow, this is really filling a need. Like people love this. And I knew what it was doing for the farmers because I already knew the farmers. And I, that was the thing where I thought, okay, like this is connected to food. I wonder if I could learn how to cut meat. Like I wonder if I could learn how to be a butcher. This seems like learn the thing, feel the need. And that was, yeah, something clicked. I just had this idea at one day and I kept it to myself for a little while. And then I like blurted it out at dinner one night and that was, it had really been on my mind. And finally I was just like, guys, I think I want to be a butcher. Welcome back to the Base Control Podcast. In this episode, Chris and I stay local. Uh, we actually chat with Heather and Cecily of Primal Supply Meats, which is a Philadelphia-based uh, butchery. And we recorded this episode in their brand new, beautiful brick-and-mortar butcher shop in South Philly. So if you're a local to Philadelphia and maybe you've heard of Primal Supply or maybe you haven't, uh, you're doing yourself a, a disservice by not checking them out. Uh, so head over to their website, primalsupplymeats.com, and check out more of what they have to offer. But in this episode, we talk with Heather and Cecily about their past and what ultimately drew them to becoming a butcher. Uh, we talk about the importance of building relationships, and Heather and Cecily talk more about what they do and why what they do is so incredibly important to not only us as the consumer, but to the farmers, their families, uh, and their land. And we also talk more about, you know, what's next for Primal Supply? Where do they see this going? Uh, what do they envision for the future? So again, go over and check them out in South Philly or primalsupplymeat.com. And as always, if you are enjoying the podcast and you like what you hear, uh, don't forget to give us a five-star review on iTunes. Thanks. <laughs> All right. So welcome, everyone. Uh, Chris and I are now sitting in this beautiful location, uh, Primal Supply, and we're here with Cecily and Heather. So thank you guys for taking the time to chat with us today. As always, um, we're looking forward to this very much. So thank you. Thanks for having us and bringing coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Can't live without it. Um, so let, give us just a, a brief rundown as to how you both came to be here at Primal Supply. Cecily, you want to go first? <laughs> Who goes first? <laughs> uh, well, we both met at Kenton Quarters in Fishtown. Um, I was looking to start learning how to cut meat, and Heather was joining the team, I guess. Um, and, uh, yeah, through working there, um, Heather had this idea to start her own business and, um, yeah, we just at some point made the switch. <laughs> made the leap. Yeah. So, uh, the, the goal, the idea, um, being there were so many restaurants in the city and, um, that wanted that wanted local pastured meat and weren't we weren't able to supply them through Kensington Quarters Butcher Shop and just trying to think of a different model where 
we weren't so tied to a counter yeah <laughs> to begin with that was the idea yeah uh, ironically wanna... we're back at the counter now <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's funny awesome heather how about you um well yeah so i mean that was that was the idea for us was that we started um a wholesale and subscription program to see if we could do what we were doing and just kind of reach more people um but yeah i guess this we came to all of this uh well cecily was a cheesemonger when i met her before she started cutting meat with me she's still a resident cheese expert um and yeah once upon a time i was a graphic designer and uh I just kind of noticed in my food community, which at the time was in New York, that there is so many people that, you know, I was an avid cook and home home cook and kind of local food supporter and shopper belonging to co-ops and uh, CSAs and shopping at the farmer's market. And I started to get to know farmers and realized that there was a lot of small farmers raising really good pastured meat and there wasn't a lot of ways for them to get it to market. So um, that, was, that was what motivated me to start um, learning how to cut meat. It was kind of from this business side, but I knew I had to learn the thing first. Yeah. So, so yeah, so by the time that I ended up in Philadelphia working with Cecily, um, yeah, I was managing Kensington Quarters, and you know, there was a point where we knew how to do it all and just kind of decided to step back and figure out how we could do it better and start to kind of solve that access problem. So, um, so yeah, first restaurants then home cooks through our subscription program which um is proudly hosted by warhorse yes it um, is <laughs> and uh and then finally we were just about we just turned two the business just turned two congrats uh, somewhere just after our first year we uh we're just kind of growing and this retail location became available to us and we kind of realized that we what we were missing uh in the otherwise successful new business model was the ability to really talk to people and reach them face to face and yeah just have a place where people could discover us a little yeah. bit easier besides the internet yeah so here we are face to the name mm-hmm. that's awesome <laughs> um so let's backtrack a little bit can you talk a little bit about your graphic design days i guess sure. you were living in brooklyn at yep. the time and it was you and your husband correct true awesome yes. <laughs> uh yeah i went to um i actually I grew up dancing and that's what I went to school for and uh, very quickly kind of burnt out and realized that was not going to be the, the professional life for me and, and found graphic design and I did that in Brooklyn for about 10 years and after working for a lot of other companies big and small uh, my husband and I started our own studio and it was great um, we were doing it I guess we founded it in 2008 and it was around the time where um, everybody was kind of moving to the internet. Mm-hmm. I used to, I trained as a graphic designer doing logos and branding, and then it became this point where people would start, people used to come to you when they were starting a business and say, hey, I'm starting a business, can you design my stationery? Ah, that was like the first thing yeah. that everybody spent money on. Um, and then, you know, a logo, but stationery. They wanted yeah. to print things. And then there was a time where people would start to be like, I'm starting a new business, do you know how to make websites? <laughs> Uh, and so we just were kind of had a fortuitous thing where my husband was actually working in art galleries, but he was doing that on his own and, and learning to do web development. And I started to have more and more clients come to me and ask me for that. And I'd say to him, hey, you know, if you think you could do this, I'll take this project. Yeah. And maybe we'll do it. And that's kind of how our business was born. So we, we did that for several years and it was going really well. But for me, like I was kind of coming around on a decade of design and clients and deadlines and 
physically just sitting behind a computer all day. Um, yeah. And it just started not feel great. Like I wasn't unhappy then, but I was looking forward another 10 years and thinking like, man, I don't want to just, you know, have physical ailments from sitting still in front of a screen all day. And like when the projects are going well, it's really great. But when they're not, it's really hard on you managing yeah. client relationships. So, um, so yeah, I just kind of started to make a switch, but, but food was always my life. Like I worked all day doing design work and I came home and just without hesitation always made dinner and that was like my way of meditation I guess and yeah. we hosted a lot of dinner parties and we like I said we shopped in all the local places and those became our that kind of became our like friends and community so yeah that's amazing um so was there a particular it sounds like it there wasn't a particular moment where you were like I have to get the hell out of this world um but what kind of led you to that and what was your first step kind of to now becoming a butcher because it's um, drastically different yeah no I I didn't have a like oh my gosh let me out moment but I did have a oh my gosh I think I know what I want to do moment um I think I mean my husband and I uh well so it's pretty hard to run a business with a partner um it has Yes. There are, yes, there are reasons <laughs> why it's great, um, and then there are reasons why it's challenging. I mean, we made great creative partners, um, and when we were having, you know, when we got a new project or when we had the great idea for how to do a project really well, that was awesome. Um, but uh, work-life divide is takes so much work, um, and it's just not real. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and so it's like we love working together, but we would joke it was true it was like not even a joke that like if we went on vacation we didn't have anything to talk about for the first day because we'd be like okay we're not going to talk about work we're on vacation right and then yeah. <laughs> somehow it, it always comes back to that yeah, yeah. And really until like we started doing other things and we were a day or two in, there was nothing else to talk about you yeah. know and yeah when there's work stresses um which inevitably there always are the you know now i get to go home to my husband and be like oh my goodness this is what's going on at work and kind of talk it out yeah whereas otherwise we just brought it home we just yeah. like brought it home and stressed out about it all night so i mean it's you can work through all these things but i was starting to i don't know i just kind of felt like a couple years in i was like this this might wear us down one day is yeah. this what i want to do and so i guess i just kind of had my eyes open for a new opportunity i didn't really know what it was going to be yet and people used to always um I cooked so much and I was so involved in food that everybody used to ask me if I wish I had gone to culinary school or if I wanted to cook, and I didn't. Um, but the, a butcher shop opened in my neighborhood, actually, in Brooklyn. Okay. Um, so I, we had a really amazing food co-op, a local food co-op that I grocery shopped at. It was like two, two blocks from my house. And friends started telling me, this butcher shop is going to open. It's going to be so cool. Like, you're going to love it. And I was really busy, and it's like, okay, sure. And then the friends, like, it happened. They have the coolest stuff. They sell, like, lamb necks. <laughs> so you know one day I like strolled down the street and took a walk by and sure enough saw this super beautiful vibrant newly opened butcher shop honestly kind of a lot like this like we have customers coming in saying so oh my goodness thanks for bringing this to the neighborhood like well that's what happened in my neighborhood in Brooklyn like I don't know eight years ago and I had like an aha moment as I walked by and just saw wow this is really filling a need. Like yeah. people love this. And I knew what it was doing for the farmers because I already knew the farmers. And I, that was the thing where I thought, okay, like this is connected to food. I wonder if I could learn how to cut meat. Like I wonder if I could learn how to be a butcher. This seems like learn the thing, feel the need. And that was, yeah, 
Yeah. Something clicked. I just had this idea at one day, and I kept it to myself for a little while, and then I, like, blurted it out at dinner one night, and that was... Like, oh, shit, I just said that out loud. Yeah. <laughs> I was with my husband and another friend of ours, and they were talking about something else, and I was like, it had really been on my mind, and finally I was just like, guys, I think I want to be a butcher. <laughs> so how long after that did you then start your apprenticeship in, where was it, North Mountain Pastures? Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, it was. That's one of our farms now, and it's in central Pennsylvania. Um, maybe about six months. I, I started kind of looking. I mean, Cecily went through the same experience, I think, um, when, when you decided that's what you wanted to do. It's just hard to find opportunities. Yeah. And I, I understand it more now. Um, you know, as a business owner, it's really hard to take green people in. Yeah. No matter how much they want it and how much they, like, think they're going to bring to the table. You know, you just, training people is a lot of work, and um, it's hard to manage people who are not experienced. Mm -hmm. So I, in New York, was trying to find a butcher shop I could apprentice at, and it just, just didn't happen. Um, you know, they were busy or too big or too small, or I don't know, just kind of didn't take me seriously. Yeah. And so I discovered um, North Mountain Pastures was doing a Kickstarter campaign to help build a small kind of butcher shop processing building on their farm and I found them through that and I started emailing with Brooks the farmer and owner mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah I went out to his farm one day and we met and I said you know I really want to do this and I can't find an apprenticeship cutting meat and so I have this thought that maybe if I learn how to farm like pestered livestock farmers are kind of my future partners and I could serve them better if I really knew what to do so um, he he liked that and decided mm -hmm. to take me on so that's a yeah, great so I moved opportunity. To his farm for a season, but yeah, it took it took me about six months. I would say it was about the spring of uh, sorry the fall of 2011. I think when I, you know, my husband was on board with me. I said I would try to find an apprenticeship and work part time, and he was okay with that, um, and kind of encouraged me to go try to find it. And when I couldn't find that opportunity, and six months later, I said, so I think I'm actually just going to move to this <laughs> farm for eight months. <laughs> uh, thankfully, he let me do it. So. Yeah. Amazing. And then what happened to the graphic design I actually, firm? well, it still exists. It's okay. Called, it's called Bad Feather. Bad Feather, correct. Uh, yeah. yeah, my mm -hmm. husband still runs it, actually. Um, and it, we were always a design and development team. Um, he's more of a designer than he used to be, but it's, it's more of a web company than it ever was. Um, so he still runs it. Uh, and for the first year or two, I still worked. I still did work. Mm -hmm. um, it kind of helped me financially. It helped us through the transition. Of course, It yeah. was kind of crazy but like, you know, burning the candle at both ends. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, the nice thing about working in web design is that I took my laptop to the farm and, you know, I didn't have a lot of time or energy, but if there was a project that he couldn't take without me participating in it, you know, I did that. And I did that for probably about two years. Okay. Um, on the side, I still kind of helped maintain some client relationships and some projects. And then one day I came home and was like, I can't do this anymore. My brain can't do this anymore. Yeah. Um, it's time. So... So, you, Cecily, you had a similar apprenticeship. Did you also apprentice at the same location or somewhere no. else? <clears throat> no. No, I um, graduated college and started farming as just I couldn't really find anything else that I wanted to do that I could get. Um, so I, I moved to Philly and then moved out to Lancaster County mm -hmm. and farmed and discovered I liked livestock farming more than vegetable farming. Um, so I did that for a couple of years at a couple of different farms. 
but I was commuting back into Philly because um, I lived there yeah. and wanted to be in the city. And so then through that desire, wanted just realized like the craft of butchery was an exciting skill to learn. So it took me quite a bit longer to find um, like a job that I could learn while also making money. Yeah. So I first... I first worked at a co-op that I tried to, to like get into the um, butchery department and that didn't work. And then <laughs> I, I became a cheesemonger because I figured like cheese meat, that's pretty similar. You use a knife. Um, <laughs> and then Kensington Quarters opened and that was where I learned how to cut meat. Beautiful. And then Heather, you came back to Philly to be the head butcher at Kensington Quarters. Yeah, I was not in Philly previously. My sort of apprentice oh, training true. work journey took me, um, well, I, I spent most of a year in Pennsylvania, um, and I went back home to Brooklyn and convinced my husband <laughs> to move with me to the Bay Area to take an apprenticeship, an unpaid apprenticeship at a butcher shop in, in Berkeley, which he did. Uh, <laughs> it's a good man. <laughs> yeah. So that's where, so that was where I sort of found my entry point. And like I said, I was fortunate that we had our own business that moved mm-hmm. with us and that I could keep my job in by working odd hours at night. So that helped me through the, you know, most, most of two years I didn't get paid. I just, um, I learned, uh, you know, I worked in exchange for learning. Um, so I was an, I had an apprentice role at this butcher shop for about six months and finally got hired on. Um, and worked as a butcher there for about a year, and then I met um, one of the guys who was open in Kensington Quarters, and was like, "How are you going to staff this thing? Like, there's not a lot of butchers in Philly, and this sounds yeah. like a really cool project." And I was from New Jersey, um, so you know, my husband and I were in California, thinking like, "Do we love it here? This feels really far away from home for yeah. both of us." Like, you know, we're either we're staying and we're really digging in or not. And that opportunity came up, and um, so we moved back to the East Coast and landed in Philly so I could help open Kensington Quarters, yeah. And um, so yeah, so I became the head butcher there and Cecily, uh, you know, joined us just sort of at the shop as, you know, sort of the starting, I guess like assistant butcher. Yeah, um, you counter. Know, counter meat <laughs> monger. <laughs> she went from being a cheese monger to a meat monger. Yep. <laughs> um, and yeah, and, you know, we just started working together every day and as like things evolve and people come and go and transitions happen, like Cecily kind of trained up next to me and eventually became my assistant manager. And, um, you know, I think it was, we were about a year and a half in when I, I always like in the back of my mind was kind of thinking about business ideas, but when the, like that we saw the need that kind of helped formulate the idea of what we could really do. Right. And I was like, I, I think we should do this. Yeah. <laughs> and Cecily uh, somehow <laughs> thought it wasn't too crazy to um, <laughs> quit her job too and uh, help help start Primal Supply. That's amazing. So, yeah. Um, so what were the like first initial steps for you with starting Primal Supply? Where, like, what was the very first step that you guys took to start this amazing thought? Good question. Um, well, I, I spent kind of, you know, Cecily, we would sort of talk, I feel like, in workshop about what the business could be and what it could do while we were working, um, you know, for a few months. And I was just behind the scenes in any spare time I wasn't at 
the butcher shop working on a business plan of just like financially how it would work and what it needed to look like. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if we launched a wholesale program, if we launched a subscription program, you know, like what would it cost us and what would it take? And that took me a couple months. And I think in the spring, I got to a point where I finally worked it out on paper that we felt confident that like, okay, if this works on, this works on paper enough for us to feel like we could give it a shot. Um, so, um, we already had relationships with farmers and, you know, I kind of let everyone at Kensington Quarters know that we were leaving to start this business and gave them lots of notice and tried to help them kind of trade for the transition. Yeah. So, um, for us, I don't, I mean, God, I feel like there was just a day where we like just stepped out into the world and we're like, okay. <laughs> um, we did a lot of farm trips, like going to actually solidify those commitments and relationships. That yeah. was the next step after like your, and I, I think the planning was like you spent so much time making sure it made sense on paper yeah. before we ever did anything. Yeah, of um, course. We and we still use that and I still do that every time we're looking to make like a growth step, you know, uh, going through a growth stage. But yeah, I guess we did that. Like we I had the I was doing the sourcing for Kensington Quarters for the restaurant and butcher shop. Mm -hmm. But we had to kind of go back to these farmers and say, Hey, we're starting a new business and it's gonna be a slightly different model and if it works it's gonna be better for all of us. Like we're gonna buy and sell so much more of your meat, but do you trust us? You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and most of them were really excited and they and and we spoke to a couple of chefs um you know that we knew that was that was another thing to you know I sort of vetted the idea against them and said hey we're thinking about starting this program would you buy from us including Kensington Quarters who agreed to sort of flip and become a customer that's awesome yeah. um so yeah and and our good friend uh, Trevor who owns uh, Grill and Nutrition he was he had just launched his meal um service program and was was one of the chefs who wanted to buy our meat that we were like it doesn't really work to wholesale to you out of a butcher shop um so yeah there was maybe a handful of people that were committed and oh and we got the and the farmer's market yeah um yeah right so high street on market uh, the mm -hmm. restaurant in old city they the previous year they had tried hosting a little farmer's market out in front of the restaurant on saturdays and we had a friendly relationship with them as well as the farmer who was kind of the anchor uh, vendor so I approached them and said, hey, we're going to start this thing. Maybe we could sell meat at your farmer's market. Yeah. So I think that kind of like drove us to have a date. Um, yeah. Like the market was starting the first week of June and we were like, okay, we got we to gotta be there. Yeah. So, so yeah, so we found a, a small commissary that we could work out of um, and bought the first couple of animals um, and, and set up shop <laughs> there. It was so like we laughed because it was like, it was so small and scrappy and it was a kitchen and it was warm and like you need to keep yeah. cold. And yes. we just like we just struggled in so many ways there. We didn't last long. It was like a month before we were fortunate enough to find our real uh, production facility. But yeah, we just uh, we started making sausage and <laughs> cartoning eggs and cutting meat and packaging things and like we printed some T-shirts. Yeah. Um, yeah, we we showed up at the first farmers market and I remember that we were both standing there wearing these Primal Supply T-shirts and the business was like a week old and someone was like, "Oh, those T-shirts are so cool! Are they for sale?" And I was like, "They are now." <laughs> People love the T-shirts. Yes, they're. They I mean, the design they look is very awesome. Soft. <laughs> they are really soft. I'm yeah. actually sitting, like I'm looking at yours. I was like, I think I'm gonna buy a shirt before we leave here today. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> but yeah, there was a lot of partnerships that helped us start for for sure. Um, Common Market, which is like a food hub in North Philly, um, they were interested in, in having a line of grass-fed ground beef, which I made a plan to help them 
create that and they kind of generously offered us a really good deal on some transportation and storage because um, it's not easy to move around um, hundreds or thousands of pounds of product that has to stay cold. Yeah, I can see that. Um, so yeah, so we, we just had these like little baby relationships, like a handful of chefs and the, the Saturday market for a few hours on High Street and, you know, a location where we could have our meat uh, drop off mm-hmm. and then be picked up by us at Common Market. And we just kind of spent a summer doing that. We went and picked up a lot of our own stuff at farms and slaughterhouses and um, yeah, and, and then we started planning the Butcher's Club. Cool. And there were definitely... Um, customers who had become friends at Kensington Quarters that were just waiting till they could get um, our meat again, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So they were they were in various ways supporting as well. Yeah, they were showing up at markets and we were, um, we knew we wanted to do the subscription program. Like we knew we just didn't want to be wholesalers because yeah. I think both of us have always been home cooks and I came to all of this as, as like a person at home feeding my friends and family that wanted access. So that was always important to us so we it was always the idea that the wholesale program would would feed the restaurants and the subscription program would feed the home cooks so as soon as the business was like off the ground (laughs) um we i remember that we made those um we kind of designed what the subscription program might look like um like what would the packages look like and what would the cost be and we started um having surveys at the farmer's market and people would come up and we would say, hey, we're thinking about launching this program. Like, would you? And we'd hand them the sheet and say, take a look at this. Tell us if you would sign up. And we got a lot of positive feedback. Like people would say, oh, this, yeah, these prices look good. Oh, this sounds like a cool thing. Okay. And um, I think we, I mean, at a tiny little market, we maybe collected like 50 responses or something that was pretty, was pretty solid feedback. So we basically spent that first summer selling buying and selling what meat we could and behind the scenes kind of planning to launch that program cool so i'm going to kind of change the subject a little bit because you've mentioned relationships quite a bit so far i'm just curious um how do you go about like what's what's your like why why do you feel relationships are so important with you and for you and how do you go about like kind of i guess i'll say crafting those relationships and building like trust and like a good you know relationship with farmers and restaurants and things like that um that's a really good question (laughs) i mean it's something that we talk about we kind of in the last year you know cecily and i have been looking at the business growing and trying to figure out how to keep doing that sustainably and like how did it happen and how do we keep it going also as we you know as our model's been successful we start to definitely have more competitors like people are trying to do what we do yeah and when we saw that happening we would sort of ask ourselves like okay are we still unique enough or special enough and that was one of the realizations that we had i think is that what makes our business special is that it's built on relationships um so yeah i mean it's like we're not just any wholesaler like we don't send a salesperson into a restaurant like i go into the restaurants and i talk to the chefs and really get to know them and their needs and that's why we serve them so much better than somebody who on paper might seem like they have the same product or the same pricing. Right. Yeah. And, you know, the Butcher's Club would not have been possible to launch had we not reached out to other small businesses and said, hey, we think we want to do this thing. Maybe there's some of your, you know, yeah. customers, clients that um, want what we're offering. So you could basically give them this service and support us in the process. And they thought that was positive. but. Maybe it's because I talk a lot. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely the reason why you have so many relationships. It's also um, like you have to, there has to be a reason why um, somebody wants to buy 
meat from us because it's not the easiest, it's not the cheapest. You know, they have to be, they have to know the why and want to support it and want to be a part of it. And I think because there's so much direct communication about what we're doing, um, that there are chefs that are really into, you know, they have the same passion for their food, so they want, you know, to be connected to somebody who's just as passionate about the protein that they're getting. Yeah. And people are the same way, you know, home cooks. I think maybe, too, um, that it's, uh, like, reciprocal, like, it's not one way. Right. Um, Like, we care a lot about, like, yes, we make the business happen, but the business is so much bigger than the two of us or even our staff of, you know, 12 12 or 13 people. I was trying to count. Um, Yeah, yeah, it just keeps getting bigger. Um, like I feel like Primal Supply is made up of hundreds of people. It has thousands of customers, and there's, it's not an exaggeration to say there's hundreds of people that are part of Primal Supply. You know, yeah. um, there's an individual relationship or two at every restaurant, and we sell to about 30 restaurants right now. You know, our butchers club kind of fluctuates around 100 some members, and those are one and two person households who choose to you know, not just buy our meat, but like kind of sign up and be a part of what we do, like Cecily was saying, and really like get the why and be a part of it. Um, Our farmers, you know, we are really, um, we care about supporting them so much, you know, so, and yeah, like we understand what they need, like what do they need to raise their animals right, to um, take care of their families, you know, how much do they have to kind of raise and sell in a year, and could we possibly meet that goal for them? Yeah. yeah, like what What do the chefs really need to make them happy and, and like <laughs> give them what they need to do their best? You know, we try to understand that. Even opening this shop has been really awesome because we have so many friends um, in the food community that are other small local food producers and they're smaller than us or younger than us in their businesses and don't have this kind of a space. Mm-hmm. So this space gets to be a really cool uh, platform for all of them. You know, it's like any of them, they know that they're welcome to, they can come and they can do tastings and they can put their products on our shelves and sell it here. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just more of a mindset than anything. You know, yeah. we, we love to introduce and connect people. Um, you know, if we're doing something and it works and it could work for someone else, we want to help that happen. Um, and then I think the same comes back to us. It's like. Yeah. Just like serving others and helping yeah. people out. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, so um, maybe as a way to, to educate some people that don't know, can you speak to, you know, why what you both are doing and providing to the community and basically the entire city of Philadelphia, why that's important? Because <laughs> some people are like, it's just me. You know, like, yeah. what, what do I care? Well, it's the reason why... Heather specifically and I I think I did but I was I was younger and more idealistic in my understanding of sustainable agriculture and 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 wanting to learn how to cut meat I hadn't actually uh, bought food like for myself in a serious way yet but what you were saying in um, in Brooklyn like accessibility I mean if you can't get to a farmers market as a as a person a home person uh, you know, not a not a restaurant. If you can't get to a farmer's market, if you want fresh product, it's really hard to find local pasture-raised meat. And like whatever your reason for wanting to get that meat, whether it's health, you know, um, your, your beliefs or just mm-hmm. wanting 
something that's local. Um, it's really hard to find. Yeah, um, Cecily um, is kind of touching on a point that like, so we buy, we buy all of our meat, we commit to it as whole animals from farmers who are raising it. And these mm -hmm. farmers care a lot about um, really like the land. Um, like live pasture-raised livestock farmers yeah. call themselves grass farmers. Like they're really taking care of, the land is the thing. Um, they care about topsoil and um, like permaculture, you know, perennial, like creating environments where perennial uh, crops and plants will continue to grow. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it captures carbon and it improves the soil and the land every year. And putting animals on that just like adds to that. And in doing so, it's like you can kind of build up the, rather than take away from the land, you can give back to it. They all have kids that they want their farms to be healthy and rich and nutrient dense for. So it's like this beautiful thing where you put animals on that and they just like help do the work. Yeah. And then in doing that, you have this really healthy, um, the end product is this nutrient dense, healthy meat. Mm -hmm. And so, like Cecily said, some people are after the health. Some people just want to support, you know, their local economy. Um, you know, there's some people are after it, honestly, like as chefs and, and sort of high level cooks are after it for the flavor and the quality because it's better than anything else. Uh, but the farmers who do that, uh, they, if they're really doing their jobs well, like they live in rural Pennsylvania um, yeah. and they should have their heads down on the farm every day and they shouldn't be like packing their stuff into a cooler and hauling it into a farmer's market. And by yeah. the time that that product gets to the market, it's not great. Yeah. It's frozen. Maybe it thawed on the way back yeah. and forth, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's just, it's just inferior. And, and so for us, like we really know how to hand, we, we've learned, we've both learned a lot about farming. Like we both have some farming experience and even just in our relationships with our farmers over the last couple of years, keep learning about how and why they do what they do and what makes it good and better. Um, so, but really what we're good at is like, is handling the meat. I mean, that's what we've focused on. Like, you know, not even just how to cut it, but like how to treat it best, yeah. you know, like, um, yeah. how to move it from place to place and, and take care of it as best as possible so that it retains its nutrition and, and quality and all that. Um, so there's the, this cool thing where by doing that, we are supporting all of these local farmers to make a living. And it's, I don't know, it's just really like. It's kind of creating this local economy ecosystem, um, and the and the end result is that people in Philadelphia get access to this really awesome product. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I sort of mentioned it in in my email. Like, what you guys are doing is super important because of what you just like described. Um, I guess this is kind of me playing like devil's advocate a little bit. Like, what would you say to the person that like they go, they go to Acme down the street and they're like, "Well, I can just get my meat there. Like, why why should I come to you?" Like, I, you might have already touched on it a little bit. Mitt. Maybe you can elaborate just a little bit more, like like maybe like more so like on the quality portion. Yeah, I mean, there's not every not everybody's going to be our customer, and that's we know that, and we, you know, we want what's best for everyone, and yeah. for some people, if what's best for them is not shopping from us, that's okay. We're really we're accepting of that. Um, I think if it's like, it's for some people, it's just a cost issue. They value aside they just want to spend the least right. then they're not going to be our customer right. yeah um but the quality i mean the meat is we use that we talk about traceability a lot um you know if you're buying meat at the grocery store it's most likely coming from a commodity factory uh you know program like it was raised yeah. somewhere in the midwest um in a feedlot many thousands of animals um you know not being treated well not being fed well um and that all transfers to nutrition you know so 
it's going to be void of nutrition. It's going to be void of flavor. Um, and you know, it's like what ends up there, you don't really know where it came from. Your ground beef might've come from so many animals. Um, there's hormones, antibiotics, all this other stuff. So our stuff is, our meat is clean. Um, it doesn't have any of those, uh, additives and, and you know where it comes from. So, and that means a lot to people. Like sometimes it means a lot because then, you know, you know, knowing where it comes from, um, guarantees the quality of the meat knowing where it comes from means that you know your dollars went somewhere that mattered um so i mean it's just i guess like this is cecily's um, thing that she's focused on now is the why which i love but really it's it's like yeah yeah. so like why are people going to acne it's like that is all that their budget allows and that's the best that they can do and they want protein and they could not even think about you know we try to think about accessibility but the the dollar that we pay the farmer to buy their animal has to be a fair price for them to support their families and feed costs and all the rest. Yep. And then, you know, that comes into our business. We have to support our business. So, you know, we try to be conscious and make price our meat as fairly as possible while also making it sustainable for all the people that touched it along the way. And unfortunately there is, there is some people that, um, will get left out of that because our ground beef is $8 a pound and they can't think about paying more than four. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, sometimes people do come in and ask that, you know, kind of in this, like, how are right. you going to how are you going to answer that question? And I mean, if someone's in here interested, I think the best um, uh, way to convince them that it's worth it is to have them taste something, because um, without a doubt, almost every single person acknowledges there's more flavor or, you know, whatever, something different yeah. and better than what is um at most grocery stores but uh and then we also talk about like how you can be economical i mean Mm -hmm. you do definitely have to reframe your thinking of what you want to cook and like and what how much meat you eat but there are so many ways that you can uh buy this meat economically so i've been talking to people lately about eggs um because that does happen and and cecily is right like if we if someone comes in with even an interest or curiosity about it, most often we can help educate them about the product itself and how to use it as best as possible and make their dollars go as far as possible. But um, our eggs cost $6 a dozen, right? We, I mean, our farmer, he buys, um, he, he brings hens into his farm. He, um, you know, buys feed for them. His family goes around and takes care of the chickens and collects the eggs every day and cartons them for us. We buy the egg cartons. You know, we send our driver to Lancaster to bring them back. We put a label on them. They go in our case. I mean, like, we really don't make that much money on yeah. eggs, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. It's yeah. one of the things that we think is important to have access to. It's a really nice revenue stream for our farmer. It's one of our least profitable things that we sell. And they cost $6 a dozen. And people walk in all the time and ask, how much is our eggs? How much are our eggs? We say $6 a dozen, and like one out of five people sometimes just walks out the door. But if you think about protein, um, you know, if you are trying to have rich, nutrient-dense protein in your diet, um, for most people, two eggs would be a really, um, you know, subs- a, a perfectly substantial protein serving. Yeah. yeah. And that costs you a dollar. Yeah. Like, how many things can you, can you eat where, like, a really, you know, nutrient-dense, fulfilling serving of protein costs a dollar. That's because yeah. yeah. that's the cost of two of those eggs. You yeah. know, it's actually the most one of the most affordable things we sell. <laughs> like, you know, our ground beef is eight dollars a pound, and maybe you're someone who's satisfied by a quarter pound of ground beef, but most people um, are going to eat, you know, at least a third of a pound, maybe a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that seems like that's the entry point, but that's actually kind of expensive. Yeah. Um, you know, unless you're going to kind of stretch it and, and mix it in with vegetables and other things. So, yeah. <laughs> How about that? Eggs, that's good. Eat yeah. more eggs. Yeah, seriously. Can't, can't super everyone that comes to our gym could use more protein. Yeah. Most <laughs> people who, and we're not going to get into that now, but everyone who exercises needs to eat more protein. So, like a dollar a serving to put two eggs on that. That's, yeah. Like, that's a lot of protein. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Um, can you both speak about your first experience, um, you know, like in a slaughterhouse, like what was that like for you? What was going through your mind? Did you have any type of emotional reaction to that? Like, what was that like? Do you remember your assessment? Well, I actually think we have a better story. Yeah, <laughs> we do. I'm not even sure what she's going to say right um, now. Well, I, I used to raise rabbits. That's what oh, I Oh, yeah. So, um, I raised rabbits for, I actually still have a rabbit, but he's not a meat rabbit. Um, anymore in West Philly (laughs) (laughs) um, like another trying to bring the farm into the city kind of thing and I had just started working at Kensington Quarters and just met Heather and you came over and helped me slaughter some rabbits in my backyard (laughs) (laughs) yeah I I had um, I had So I, I actually remember, I do remember my first experience watching an animal be slaughtered. It was actually when I was trying to get into, when I was trying to find my way in butchery. The butcher shop that opened in Brooklyn was um, a company called Fleischer's that now has a couple shops. Mm-hmm. Their original shop was in upstate New York. And they used to, um, you could like pay them to teach you to be a butcher, which is kind of crazy. And it was yeah. very expensive. And I couldn't really consider doing it, but I did reach out to them about, you know, training and apprenticeships when I was kind of trying to turn over all the rocks. And I did decide to pay to go and spend a weekend upstate and do this kind of, um, it was, I was there for two or three days and I spent most of my time in the butcher shop. It was all focused on uh, pork. So it was like kind of whole hog butchery. And the, on the second day we went to a farm with this older butcher who, um, he, he had taught butchery at the Culinary Institute and was sort of in like semi-retirement and was doing a lot of education around the shop and he took us to a farm and um, and slaughtered a pig on the farm and that was really interesting for me because uh, it was you know I was just so committed to this idea and I was really honestly I decided I was willing to pay a little money to see if I physically could put myself into this thing Mm -hmm. and it all felt right and um, it was strange because it was really intense um, and and it wasn't. Yeah. Like it was just, uh, I knew that I wanted to do this. I knew that the death was a part of it. And um, I remember, you know, just trying to kind of focus and really just be present with myself. Like I feel like I have a memory of like that I was wearing a hood and I put it up mainly just like not to see the people around me yeah. and just really be there. Um, but yeah, I didn't know whether it would upset me or... Um, I don't know, and it, it didn't. It was just like, okay, I saw how that happened. It helped that this man, Hans, was really good at it. Um, he was incredibly like swift and practiced and respectful, and mm-hmm. it all happened really fast, and I felt like for what it was, that animal truly didn't suffer. And if anything, that became a model for me, that I was like, okay, that's that's the way that this should be. Yeah. Um, so that was, yeah, it was kind of, I wouldn't say it was like empowering, but it was assuring to me that like this can be done right I do want to be a part of this and Mm -hmm. this doesn't scare me or upset me and I didn't feel like I wanted to cry or throw up or anything yeah yeah you know and uh and then when I moved to the farm to North Mountain Pastures um we butchered our own chickens there every week that was the building that Brooks was building when I got there so we raised chickens and every week we slaughtered like two an average of like 200 chickens for all of their CSA members 
and they there was three of us that apprenticed that season and they wanted to teach everybody to do it and it's a funny thing because two of the other guys um went on to farm um but they never wanted to do that part yeah like they would if they had to but they you know just uh you know just were comfortable saying like I'd rather not do that yeah and Brooks and I were the two that were just like we're okay with this like this has to get I don't like doing it but like we have to be done so we would alternate switching um every other week because you had to get up at like four in the morning before everybody else and it was dark out and go start heating the water for the scalder and like get the chickens ready and all this stuff and um you know the goal is to be a few hours into it by the time everybody showed up to help with the kind of finishing and packaging of the chickens yeah so I would just like every week have this moment where I would just kind of go to this place where I'd try to be focused and I'd really try to pay attention to every single chicken as like a being and be thoughtful about what I was doing but also be like swift and fast and practiced Mm -hmm. and um I don't know that was like uh something that I worked on and tried to be aware of every week that I did it and it just made me I felt like I got a lot stronger physically and emotionally during yeah. that summer, and it made me feel like, yeah, this is the right work. And that's like, so when I met Cecily, and she's telling me about <laughs> having these rabbits in the backyard, and how she was raising them for me, and she, you tried to slaughter them a couple times, but you were using like, I don't know, books or things people told you, or you had seen it done once or twice, but she just didn't feel good about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, she was saying like, I'm doing this, it doesn't feel great, there's a lot of them, like I feel like it could be better. I was like, well, I've slaughtered a lot of very small livestock. Um, I think we could do this together. So, like, I went over, and it was a kind of funny... I don't even think we realized we were doing it at the moment, but it was kind of like a bonding experience for us. I can't see that. <laughs> but it was just like... Uh, I don't know. We It was pretty natural. Like, we just had this really... Um, like, I showed up at our house. We didn't know each other very well. And both of us immediately were just really serious and focused mm-hmm. on, like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And she told me what she was doing. And, like, most of it was great, but it was like, okay, here's one or two things that I learned to do differently. Maybe this will go better for us. And it did. And I think we both felt really good and confident about it. And then we went through and we processed a bunch of a bunch of rabbits that day and felt like, you know, we did it well. We did it well for them. Like, it went, it yeah. went smoothly. Um, yeah. I can imagine swiftly. there's an art form to what you both do. Um, yeah. And I see now you, that you're teaching. Are you teaching classes? Soon, soon. We will. Okay. Yeah. Um, I used to teach classes quite a bit at Kensington Quarters, and I love doing it. Um, we haven't had a space to host them. Yeah. And now that we have the butcher shop, we do. But we just kind of, we need another month or so to just kind of find our rhythm here, and then we'll add that program. Yeah. So you want to do like a pilot class you can use warhorse members that's not a bad idea <laughs> no problem they would, they would probably love it yeah they probably yeah. would actually yes um there definitely is an art to it i mean people ask me a lot about being a designer and it seems like silly but that was i spent a long time well one paying attention to all the details i mean that's really what you get trained to do as a designer but also just kind of like you know, focus and dexterity, and I always kind of did like art and craft things all my life. And Cecily also is like, you are very um, crafty, for lack of a better word. <laughs> yeah. You do. I mean, mm-hmm. you you sew and you make things, and you like using your hands. Mm-hmm. And I think both like, not. I've definitely worked with butchers who are good butchers, but they they lack that sort of detail or mm-hmm. or you know fine motor skill, and they're just a little clumsier, and and their work isn't as clean. And yeah, I mean. You want to, like, at a certain point it does become meat, but you never really want to lose touch with the fact that they're animals. Right. Um, you know, we want to be respectful for them. We want to use all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really cool that it feeds so many people, but yeah. if you make it beautiful, more people want it. 
<laughs> yeah. We're also absolutely. in sales. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yep. You know, cutting cutting like perfect pretty pork chops puts the makes means that people buy them out of the case and then we did our job well. Those pork chops are my favorite, by the way. <laughs> yes. So so I actually used to be vegan. Um, I was vegan from probably like fourteen till twenty one ish. Um, and like I've I've I don't know if I should say fortunately, but unfortunately like I've been to slaughterhouses. Not not you know, like I've been to shouldn't name them. Um, I've been to some slaughterhouses and I saw things that like were not very nice and I still have like that ethical, like now I'm a, I'm a full, like I eat a pound of ground beef a day. Um, <laughs> but I still have that dilemma sometimes and doing like hearing what you, how you guys treat the animals and like how the process, it does kind of, it makes it easier for me and it's, it's just, it is much better because what I've seen and like the things I've, it's chaos. Yeah. like inside of like a factory farm and it's it's I think that's yeah. kind of an important piece too in supporting like this the small food economy in general yeah. is yeah. that everything is done everything is more personal everything is done with more intention um, we work with two slaughterhouses and they're both small and family owned yeah. they are very small yeah. compared to probably what you've seen right, like Hatfield or something yeah. crazy like yeah. that yeah. no these are places where uh, like we know everyone's name and there's like four guys you know working on the the kill floor you know, processing one animal at a time. Right. Yeah. Um, and part of the reason, you know, we we purposefully work with uh, with processors that we know will treat the animals with respect and humanity um, that they deserve. Yeah. And that also is important because it affects the quality of the meat. Right. Right. Um, you know, that's a really important thing that stress, um, you know, causes a lot of you know, hormones and, and endorphins and things to start racing through your body. Like mm -hmm. if you were being chased down right. an alley yep. and yeah. thought your life was in danger, all of these these um, different things would start to be elevated in your body and that they're not good. Right. So you want the animals to feel calm. Um, you know, like Brooks actually always is like, <laughs> you know, people say like, oh, you know, well-raised livestock has like one bad day. Um, and it's like <laughs> for us, if we want to consume meat, we have to acknowledge that they were eating animals yeah, and they have to absolutely. die. Yeah. Um, but if there is a moment in their, you know, that, that was their intention. That's what they were raised for. They were born to feed people. Right. They were raised to feed people. And there should be a very brief moment that ideally they didn't know was coming. Yeah. And that's it. Um, and, and that means that they were calm and none of that stuff was pleasant, pleasant in their bloodstream and their muscles and the quality of the meat is better. Yeah. Um, we can tell when animals have been through stress and it happens every once in a while without the intention of humans. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they have to unfortunately get on the, actually the worst thing that happens to them is not being slaughtered. It's being moved to a the slaughterhouse. Trans yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like an sure. animal that lives its life on pasture one day has to get on a truck. Um, and maybe be jostled a little bit and not know where they're going and be stressed out in that experience. So our animals, actually all get delivered the day before um, and then they spend the night in just sort of livestock pens um, you know just kind of sleeping and drinking water mm -hmm. and forgetting that happened yeah, yeah. Um, and that's that's important but yeah we um, that's another reason why the meat is high quality it's because it was treated well not just in life but also in, yeah. in processing it you know so yeah um, what has been the most difficult part of all of this for the both of you as far as you know starting your own business and growing it you guys have been growing pretty fast so what has been the hardest part um and how have you been able to manage that um there's always disasters yeah. <laughs> yes. every single day there yeah. is some problem that has to be solved to continue going forward mm -hmm. but, but that's actually i think now at this point it's kind of 
if we've adjusted to that and that's kind of the excitement as well yeah it's a little bit what we do like I'm kind of proud of it uh, I mean we are yes we're butchers but our business is very logistics based which means that there's just a lot of parts and pieces moving all day every day and yeah nothing ever goes as planned <laughs> so our ability to kind of like be a little bit head down on the work but a little bit heads up you know kind of keeping everything moving we use the word tetris a lot we start we have don't use that as much as we used to but it's um, still but true yeah, like yeah. you know keeping all these pieces fitting together and you know balls in the air whatever expressions you want to use yeah um and that you know little things and big things go wrong all the time and being able to um be told that something isn't happening the way it's supposed to and have us say okay uh we were going to do this or this was supposed to happen it's not now this will happen moving on yeah, <laughs> and just like not letting that trip us up or stress us out any more than it needs to and just like yeah I make a lot of decisions all day every day very quickly um, and that used to that used to be hard and now that's actually easy we also I think growing fast um, just like there's a reason why they're called growing pains yeah um, we're growing and we know that and it we know it's positive and I think um, one of the reasons why Cecily and I are able to do what we do and work well together because we both kind of are able to stay focused I think on like the end game and see the light at the tunnel and not get bogged down or let each other get bogged down in like the now um, but we've had every time we go through a growth spurt it's really challenging on us um, just like physically and emotionally to yeah. uh, keep it all going when it's exhausting um, like I haven't had a day off in two months yeah because we opened a butcher shop a little over a month ago and it, it, I love being here um, but there's a whole other business that we have to keep going and that's like gets is getting fit in in all the spare moments and that won't last forever um, like we have we still need to grow our team we need to train staff uh, we have an amazing team of people but every time someone new comes on um, for like a week they're amazing because they were doing work that nobody else was doing and yeah. then for like three months they're a challenge to us yeah because we're we need them we need their labor they're still learning they're making mistakes that yeah. we're like okay that's what just went wrong now we have to fix that yeah. <laughs> but then they come around the learning curve and like the this team that we have that's starting to have people who have you know we're two years in of course we have turnover like every business but there's some people who have been with us for a year now and are starting to feel indispensable mm -hmm. and have made their jobs be things that we don't even touch or think about anymore and they've truly taken stuff off of our plates and let us grow uh that's awesome but man every time we go through like a stretch where we need to add a few more people it's it's hard yeah um, what what are yeah. some things you look for in like a new a new teammate coming on? <laughs> We're actually pretty good at this. Yeah, we've had to, well, we just had to put. A, um, we struggled through our first couple of hires, really good people that we weren't ready to be the managers they needed us to be, and we didn't quite know what we needed from them. Um, so we about a year in spent about maybe a month, like kind of workshopping, like how do we want to grow the team? What do we look for in somebody who's going to work well for us? How can we be better at you know? making agreements and laying out our expectations for them and uh last summer we we went from being a staff of four which actually shrank to two because two of those people we knew they were moving on and then became eight by the end of the summer oh wow um, yeah it was crazy and we did that really thoughtfully so so yeah so we like we've we've rewrote it down like we whiteboarded it we've kind of trained ourselves and i think we're we're better at this now so what do we look for sis um well we like specifically trying to glean some details about a person in in the initial interview um, so we have a series of questions where we are trying to see if somebody can answer 
appropriately about like what what's important to us is attention to detail, mm-hmm. which is really hard to figure out Everybody if says somebody has attention to uh, detail. Not, mo- <laughs> most people don't have it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they or they think they do, Same but then do. but then like yeah, you just figure out that they don't. Um, being a team player. Uh, being honest about their strengths and weaknesses so like what what makes them what what frustrates them in the workplace and then communication is number one like direct communication open communication realizing that you need to communicate Um, because we I mean no matter what there's a mistake made Uh, there's so many moving pieces we're cutting meat we're packaging meat we're sending it out we train people like on in work yeah. yeah. So there. So and I. I mean, I know this about myself. Like I make mistakes and then I learn from them. Like yeah. uh, You know, you, you realize fast faster when you make mistakes. Like what to do right. So having somebody that can recognize they're going to make mistakes, and we're going to move forward. Like it doesn't. You know, nothing bad is going to happen because they ruined one piece of meat or yeah. You know, whatever. So just there are definitely like signs in an interview where with someone who we know would work well yeah we try to ask we've, we what we do is we try to ask people to to tell us about experiences and work and it's not necessarily meat related where they've where they've applied these things like how did you solve a problem like how did you address a mistake when it happened whether it was yours or someone else's you know how did you practice attention to detail? And, <laughs> and it's kind of fun, and um, it makes people a little nervous sometimes. Yeah. But, but you can just, you know, there's some people who, like, you know, it's, there's no wrong answer. We're just trying to kind of draw it out. But, yeah, that's, um, like, back to that kind of relation, the relationship thing. I mean, it's all about communication and openness. We're really open with everyone, you know. We tell our farmers who else is raising meat for us. It's not like a secret. Like, they're part of a network, and we want to yeah. connect them to each other if they want. And we... Um, <laughs> We tell our um, chefs who else, you know, but we buy and sell to, and yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know, our customers, all of that. So with our staff, it's just like we want you to be able to talk to each other, talk to us, ask for help when you need it. Um, yeah, you know, all that, and it's that. That's something that we work really hard to cultivate in our, um, yeah, well, I guess work environment that everyone just feels like talk about what you need to talk about, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, ask questions, fess up the second that something went wrong so we can help you. Um, and sometimes it's, it helps us learn too. Like when we realize that a lot of people are having the same challenges or the same mistakes are being made, then we look at ourselves and say like, oh, do we maybe need a better system for this? Like yeah. can we set them up for success a little bit? Like maybe maybe there needs to be a process that everyone can follow. Yeah. Yeah, we, some lamb is arriving right now. Very nice. Very exciting. That's also our, our favorite, favorite delivery, delivery driver. driver. <laughs> he's so great. Yeah, he's from Lancaster Farm Fresh, and we've seen him for years, back yeah. since the Kensington Quarters days. He's always wearing shorts, no matter the time. <laughs> yeah, like 30 degrees. I can relate to that. Yeah. So, anyway. Um, what else, guys? What do we got? Where do you see, like, do you, what do you envision this becoming for the two of you? Um, Do you have like some grand master plan or are you kind of just seeing where things go from here taking it on a you know a Maybe not a short term, but maybe like a year by year something like that Like what do you guys envision happening from here? Um, I think it's a little bit of both right? I mean the you know when we there was an idea of like could could we build a better model 
And mm-hmm. I think we've been test we tested that for the first year and thought, okay, this is working. And then the next question was, can we scale the model? And so that's what we're working through now, and we're doing that. And I think, so so like, I don't think we know how much it can grow. Um, but I think the goal long term is that it's just um, like we know the work is fulfilling. We know it's important. You know, we like doing it. We feel good about you know this community and economy that we're building. Um, so the I think the long term goal is just like to have it be sustainable for us. Um, yeah financially sustainable like you know personally sustainable to achieve a work-life balance and do the work that we love to do um you know support our families have a team you know a staff that works for us that feels the same way have all of our partner businesses work the same way and and we've we've sustained that so far i mean that's the way that we set out to build the business and when there was like two of us and a couple of relationships it was that way and now when there's 12 of us and a lot of relationships it's that way so I guess I'm kind of like dabbling a little in the like we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Is um, we don't know how much it can scale. I don't know if like five years from now we'll have five butcher shops, um, or if it turns out that this is like we've just kind of, any you know we might try to go a little farther and realize that like it's going to tip a little out of balance and yep. become too much for us. Um, yeah. Or maybe as our team grows and everyone continues to um, be successful in their roles. Um, and people grow into management roles and kind of Cecily and I start to have more support where maybe it feels like there's more than two of us yeah. Yeah. growing this business. Like, yeah. you know, um, I think just the goal for us is to not lose sight of the model and why it's important and what it does and then see how far it can go. I think that's perfect. I think a lot of people kind of miss that. They forget about why they're doing something and then things end up failing. Um, so I commend you guys for kind of sticking to your to your roots and your values and it looks like things are going really, really well for you. They are, yeah. It's great. Yeah. It feels good. We feel really supported, um, you know, by our friends and customers and communities, uh, community, and that's that kind of makes it worth it. Like, I am tired, but I get out of bed every day excited to go do what I'm going to do and work with the people I'm going to work with. Mm-hmm. And we opened this butcher shop, and people started walking in every day and introducing themselves and saying, welcome to the neighborhood. Thank you for opening this place. That's an amazing and feeling. Yeah. yeah, that's a huge motivator. Yeah. So as long as it continues to feel that way, like we'll keep growing it. Yeah. Excellent. So, um, I think we can start to wrap it up, but my last question would, my last question would be, like, what's, what's one or two things that you would recommend or you would say to like a, a brand new business owner or someone you know who's in like the very very beginning stages of something that they truly care about what would you what would your like one piece of advice be to them um i think i have two pieces of advice one of which i'm still trying to follow myself um so my first piece of advice that has worked for me that i would really encourage is just really like planning planning yeah. planning planning like you really have to, it's not enough to just do the thing. Um, you really have to kind of evaluate what you're doing and always be aware of whether it's working. Like I spend a lot of time building spreadsheets and trying to track what we're doing and um, you know, determining whether or not it's profitable and efficient and works for everyone. Because if it doesn't, it's not, it's, if, it, if it doesn't, it's never going to. Yeah. Um, so, so that was like, like Cecily said, I worked really hard to work out our model on paper and I still, every time we're about to grow or change anything, it's like, well, hold on a second. Let's look at what we were doing and like, is it working or not? Let's make sure it's going to continue to. So, you know, just kind of spend that time stepping back and kind of, yeah, planning and looking into your finances more than anything, just because 
that's kind yeah. of the base of business. Absolutely. You know? But um, yeah, all of it, you know. Uh, and then the second piece of advice is just to take care of yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and I do take care of myself. Um, you know, I sleep as much as I can and I eat well, but I work a lot. And, yeah. you know, I'm still kind of working on that work-life balance. At least if work is life, at least love work. Yeah. Um, yeah. That balance is tough. Yeah. I, I love the people that I work with and surround myself with. Um, so, you know, maybe it's a little hard on my husband, but to me, like... I don't know, like I spend my day doing the things I want to do around the people I want to be around. So if I wake yeah. up and go to work and then just at the end of the day go home and go to sleep, yeah, I wasn't just like slogging and putting off my life. Like this is my life and I enjoy it. So. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, you guys are doing something that's very important. And uh, yeah, I think what you're doing is awesome. Incredible. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Um, it's getting a little noisy here with our No, I like in. it. I know. Um, Cecily's carrying in some, some lambs. So <laughs> thank you again for allowing us. <laughs>